Hello everyone. The reading this evening is in two parts. The first part is Ezekiel chapter 40 verses 1 to 4 and the second part is Ezekiel 43 1 to 12. So starting at Ezekiel chapter 40 verse 1. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year after the fall of the city, on that very day the hand of the Lord was on me and he took me there. In visions of God he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. The man said to me, Son of man, look carefully and listen closely and pay attention to everything I'm going to show you, for that is why you have been brought here. Tell the people of Israel everything you see. And then we have a description of the new temple lasting for the next several chapters before Ezekiel sees something at the eastern gate of the temple. So moving on to Ezekiel 43, starting at verse 1. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the visions I had seen by the Kabar River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their prostitution and the funeral offerings for their kings at their death. When they place their threshold next to my threshold and their doorposts beside my doorposts, with only a wall between me and them, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices. So I destroyed them in my anger. Now let them put away from me their prostitution and the funeral offerings to their kings, and I will live among them forever. Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection. And if they are ashamed of all they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, its exits and entrances, its whole design and all its regulations and laws. Write these down before them so that it may be faithful to its design and follow all its regulations. This is the law of the temple. All the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy. Such is the law of the temple. Hi everyone, let's pray as we come to God's word this evening. Father, as we look at this vision of Ezekiel that points to a bright future for the people he was speaking to at the time, Please may you help us to learn what it says about the bright future you have prepared for all of your people today as well. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, this is a long section of Ezekiel that we're looking at this evening, chapters 40 to 48. And so it's going to be more of a Bible study than a sermon as such. But I've given it the title, A Bright Future. Because these chapters of Ezekiel all contain one vision. And the theme of that one vision is a bright future for the people Ezekiel was originally speaking to. And from that, we can learn about the bright future that God has in store for us. So we need to understand, really, the people Ezekiel was speaking to. It's the people of Israel 
They're in exile. So they're living in a foreign land, not just a foreign land, but the land of an invading army. Their homeland has been destroyed. They've been there for 25 years, we learned at the beginning of our reading. And on top of all that, they've been told by God's prophets for 25 years and before that, that they deserve to be in exile and that it's their sins that have taken them there. So they've got this sense of rejection by God, which also means they've lost their sense of national identity, really, because they are God's chosen people living in the promised land, except they're not anymore. God's rejected them and they're not in the promised land. So they're at a pretty low ebb. And yet, um, God's final word to them, when the book of Ezekiel was finally put together, the Holy Spirit wanted these chapters to be at the end of the book. And it's a vision of hope and restoration, not of judgment. It talks about a bright future ahead for the people. Now, isn't just that an encouragement to us if we're feeling weighed down by sin, or perhaps we know we're not living as God wants us to live? If we repent and turn back to God, God's final word to us is not a message of judgment, but it's a message of a bright future and reconciliation and restoration. So that's very encouraging. Now, we're going to look at six big themes that come up in this vision. And it's a long vision, so inevitably we won't be able to look at them in detail. But hopefully we'll get a sense of, of how the, the vision develops and uh, the big themes that come out in it. So those, those themes are, first of all, the temple, and then it moves on to describe the priesthood and the sacrifices and then rulers. And then there's this vision of a river, which ties in uh, with the next theme, which is land, the, the land of Israel. And finally, we're going to talk about a city and its gates. Um, so those are in the order that they appear in the vision. And I can only really suggest that you uh, read those, those chapters, chapters 40 to 48 of Ezekiel. And, um, and then, you know, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get a feel for the whole thing and we can discuss how it uh, affects our lives today. So let me think about the first theme, which is temple. I asked Caroline to read the start of the vision and then a little bit about the temple, because the temple appears first and it takes up the most, the largest uh, single chunk of, of the vision. And really, it's a reversal of something that Ezekiel has already seen in a vision. You may remember back when I preached on Ezekiel chapters eight and nine, um, Ezekiel saw idolatry in the temple and sin in the temple. And that was followed by God's glory departing from the temple, a re total rejection of the people. Well, now, as Caroline referenced earlier, God's glory returns to the temple. But it doesn't return to the temple that stood at the time that had been destroyed, actually. It was in ruins. In the vision, Ezekiel sees God's glory returning to a huge temple of beautiful symmetry, a really ornate and wonderful new temple. So let me read some of the verses that Caroline read. This is chapter 43, verse four. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, 
I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. So what a message of restoration and reconciliation. And the temple itself really stood as an emblem of the fact that the people of Israel were God's people. Uh, the, the beautiful temple described there was never built. And I, I see a symbolic fulfillment in that, which I'll come to in just a moment. But if this beautiful temple had been built, it would send a clear message, if God's glory was in it, that these were God's people and this was God's land. So a message of reconciliation. But the bit that I want to concentrate on is where God tells Ezekiel why he's showing him this beautiful temple. It's not um, exactly as we would expect, not just to encourage the people, but it says this, Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection. And then it goes on about being ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection so that when they look back at what they've done in the past, they think, why did I do that? And this is what I want to draw out for us today. If we were whisked off to heaven and the new creation today, and we even saw a part of it, a part of what God has in store for us, and God said to us, consider its perfection. We'd probably think that was the understatement of the century. Words would not do justice to how great it will be. And doesn't that put our lives now into perspective and sometimes make us ashamed of the worthless things we pursue now with so much energy and we when we lose perspective of the perfections of the new creation that God has in store for us. You probably hear from time to time about um, record labels who reject somebody who then goes on to become a, a great star. And, you know, they probably look at that and think that was probably quite a poor choice. We should have signed that person and spotted that talent earlier. Well, <laughs> in a similar way, let's let's make sure that we spot the talent, as it were. Let's make sure that we recognize the perfection of heaven and the new creation. And we throw all of our energy and efforts into living for that so that when we do see its perfection, we don't have to be ashamed at all the petty things we, we lived for today. That's the first thing, temple. The next thing, it moves from a description of the temple into a description of the priesthood and the sacrifices. And so I'm just going to give you a flavour of that by reading a few verses. This is chapter 43, verses 18 to 20. Then he said to me, son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says. These will be the regulations for sacrificing burnt offerings and splashing blood against the altar when it is built. You are to give a young bull as a sin offering to the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, who come near to minister before me, declares the sovereign Lord. You are to take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar and on the four corners of the upper ledge and all around the rim, and so purify the altar and make atonement for it. You may think, what's that all about? And uh, although we don't have time to talk about the sacrificial system in any detail, what you might have recognised, those of you who have read the Bible and uh, are familiar with it, 
is just how similar this is to the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, Deuteronomy, when all of these things were originally put in place. And so the whole point is that the priesthood and the altar would be restored and restored in purity. Remember that this, these are people who are in exile. They've been there for 25 years. So for 25 years, the priesthood hasn't functioned. And before that, when it did function, it was full of evil and the priests were corrupt and the system was broken. And the reason that matters is because the priesthood and the sacrifices was the gateway of the people to God. It created the relationship between God and the people. And so where it was corrupt and where it didn't exist, the people's relationship with God was broken. That has a lot of significance for us today if we think about this symbolically. Because is there ever a time when our relationship with God could be broken and suddenly we find ourselves rejected? That's true in this life, but particularly in the next. What if we get to the new creation and find that there's still something that tears us away from God? Well, I want to read about our priest from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verses 11 and 12. First of all, the writer to the Hebrews describes the priesthood that did exist at the time of Ezekiel. And he says this. Day after day, every priest, uh, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So a bright future includes a perfect priesthood. And we have that because we know that our priest, Jesus, has made that one sacrifice that will unite us to God forever. And so we never need to be afraid of being separated from God again. That's a bright future. Moving rapidly on in the vision to the next big theme that we learn about, it's the theme of rulers. Now, think about the, the situation of Israel up until the exile. There were lists of kings and king after king was described as a, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they were worshipping idols. They were corrupt. They were stealing people's land. They were committing murder and so on. And so it's quite a big deal if the leaders after the exile are as bad as the ones before. It's not much of a, a bright future if they're anticipating returning from exile to live under the rule of a king who is a tyrant, as were some of the kings before. But let me read to you what Ezekiel sees in this vision. This is chapter 45, verses 9 and 10. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You have gone far enough, princes of Israel. Prince there being a ruler, so it can include king. But you don't want to be called a king by Ezekiel, so uses the more general word princes. Give up your violence and oppression and do what is just and right. Stop dispossessing my people, declares the sovereign Lord. 
you are to use accurate scales, an accurate ephah, and an accurate bath. Those are units of measurement for dry and, and wet material, respectively. A bit later on, verse 17, it will be the duty of the prince to provide the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the festivals, the new moons, and the Sabbaths. So what we see there is that the princes, the leaders of Israel after the exile in this bright future that's seen in the vision are to be just and they're to be godly. And that would be a really good thing for people living in exile, having experienced the evil kings that went before. And it's similar to the comfort that we experience knowing that Jesus is king of kings and having a record of his life to show us what kind of uh, rule he has and the way in which he exercises his authority. Think of things like the feeding of the 5,000. Think of all the times that it says Jesus had compassion on the crowds or on individuals. That is the kind of ruler who is king of kings and lord of lords. And so part of a bright future is knowing that Jesus is on the throne and he's the best ruler who could be there. After the rulers, we have this, um, this uh, vision of a river. And this is where, you know, we get the hint that this, this vision isn't supposed to be as literal as it might appear at the start. Because we get a lot of symbolism in a description of a river which starts very shallow and just trickling out from under the temple past the altar, um, past the east gate, and then gets deeper and deeper and deeper and goes down to the Dead Sea. And, and listen to what it does. I'll read chapter 47, verses 8 and 9. So the man talking to Ezekiel said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the water flows. There'll be large numbers of fish and it goes on like this. And then it says, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So the exiles are anticipating by this point going back to the land and being accepted by God. But it's not just land they're going back to. It's land and everything the land can provide in abundance. Because God is going to bless them. There's not much point um, returning from exile to uh, a land that's in famine and drought. You know, it's not much point going to a banquet hall where there's no banquet. It's not much uh, point going to a party where the, the host has forgotten half the things that they need. It's, it's more like, you know, they're going to a party where you look around and you just think everything that should be here is here. And it's here in amazing abundance. And it's a beautiful symbolic picture of the satisfaction that God wants to give his people. We might be tempted to think from this vision that God has entered his temple and then he sits there and just receives sacrifices from people because that's what we've seen so far. But when God is sitting in his temple, he's not passive and he's not simply absorbing sacrifices. 
he is giving and giving because it makes him happy to give his creation life to the full. And that's represented by this river that flows out and gives life uh, to places where there, um, there was death. So the Dead Sea, the deadest place on earth. And yet this river symbolically flows into it and life springs up everywhere. And this reminds us, of course, of when uh, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. And he says to the woman, um, you know, if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. If you drink the water that I'm going to give, give you, you will never thirst again. This water of life. And uh, then later on in, in Revelation, you've got, again, a river of a, water, a river of water of life um, flowing from the temple. And so um, there's a consistent picture throughout scripture of the sort of um, blessing that God wants to give his people is water, refreshing, life giving, just like this river here in Ezekiel. And that's the future that we look forward to. And after the river, we see a vision of land. So let me read a couple of verses from chapter 47. This is what the sovereign Lord says. These are the boundaries of the land that you will divide among the 12 tribes of Israel as their inheritance with two portions for Joseph. You are to divide it equally among them because I swore with uplifted hand to give it to your ancestors. This land will become your inheritance. So for the exiles, that's like spending 25 years in prison and then coming out into a house that is fully furnished and ready to go. And the, you open the fridge and the fridge is full and that sort of thing. It's a land ready to go. But I want to bring out two details of what it says about this land. First of all, in verse 14, it says you are to divide it equally among the people. It's an equal division which means that the strong and confident don't take more than the weak and the timid. And so God is doing the distributing and he does it fairly. And in fact, there's, there's so much significance in the lists that follow. So um, after saying that God will give them the land, he then goes through each of the tribes of Israel and, and says which land they're going to get. And interestingly, the first tribe to be mentioned is Dan, and when you revert, rewind back to Joshua chapter 19, when the land was originally divided between the people of Israel, Dan was the last person to receive his inheritance. And so it might remind you of Jesus's words. Many of the last will be first. So God makes sure that everyone receives their land. And also in verse 18, we learn that their land is secure. It's inalienable. On the east side, the boundary will run. Oh, sorry, have I got the wrong, wrong verse? This is chapter 46, verse 80. The prince must not take any of the inheritance of the people, driving them off their property. He is to give his sons their inheritance out of his own property so that not one of my people will be separated from their property. Kings of the past had seized people's land. You probably remember the story of Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. Have I got that right? And um, basically Ahab stole the land that belonged to Naboth. And um, so when you're used to living in a place where at any time the leaders could take, take away your land and your possessions, to hear that your land will be secure and inalienable, it will belong to you in perpetuity, is such a blessing. And that takes us on to heaven, doesn't it? In heaven, we won't need to show our A-level certificates and degrees to get a bigger chunk of heaven. God 
distributes to all of his people abundantly and fairly and freely and all of us will be satisfied and it reminds us of 1 Peter 1 verse 4 where uh, Peter says that we will enter this inheritance which will never perish spoil or fade or be taken away from you it's secure just as in this vision of a bright future the land was to be for the people of Israel and then finally I'm going to talk about the city and the gates this is the sixth big theme that we see in this vision and it appears right at the beginning in chapter 40 verse 2 we read in visions of God he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city so the city appears at the beginning it appears again in the middle reading chapter 45 verse 6 you are to give the city as its property an area 5,000 cubits wide and it goes on given the dimensions and it appears again at the end I'm reading chapter 48 and from verse 30 it talks about the the gates of the city so you have four walls and on each of the four walls you have three gates and so in total you have 12 gates one for each of the tribes of Israel and at the end it says and the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there it's never called Jerusalem interestingly which suggests that again this vision is more symbolic than to be literally fulfilled so I want to focus on the name that the city is given the Lord is there and there's the obvious uh, application I suppose from that that what makes heaven heaven is the fact that God is there it's like we've been separated for a long time from someone we love and who loves us and what really makes heaven heaven is being reconciled with that person being brought back into their presence and enjoying each other's company but think about the exiles they've been rejected by God they've been kicked out of the promised land and now they're being shown a city in the future a bright future that is called the Lord is there for them the name of the city means acceptance it means belonging it means identity and those three things are so important when it comes to our own bright future with God wouldn't we all be proud to be invited to stay in a, a nice house um, on the way back from holiday recently Claire and I drove past a group drove through Windsor and uh, imagine if you're, you're sort of been invited by the Queen to stay at Windsor wouldn't that be an honor <laughs> um, we would be proud to be welcomed into the home of a great person and by God calling the city the Lord is there he is saying I am welcoming you into my home you have a sense of acceptance you have a sense of belonging make yourself at home and you have an identity you are a friend of the king come into my home the Lord is there the name of the city so those are six big themes from the vision and I want to fast forward in conclusion ahead to the New Testament where John sees a vision that is very similar to this and what that suggests is that God is using the same imagery again and again to give us a taste of the future he has prepared for us so I'm fast forwarding on to Revelation chapter 21 probably verses you all know very well and 
as I as I read these verses, listen out for some of the key themes that we've been looking at this evening. In in these first four verses of Revelation 21, listen out for the themes of the city, acceptance, identity, blessing. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. On to verses 11 and 12 of the same chapter, and this time listen for the themes of a high mountain. Did you spot that at the beginning of Ezekiel's vision? The theme of beauty, the, the wall and the 12 gates, um, named after the 12 tribes of Israel. Maybe that comes up. This is verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. And it goes on. That is exactly the same as the description in Ezekiel. A lot of symbolism there that we don't have time to talk about now. Verse 15. Listen out for a measuring rod. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. Uh, if we were to read chapters 40 to 43 of Ezekiel, the description of the temple, you'd get the messenger constantly walking around with a measuring rod. OK, and verse 22. Here's a difference, actually, a difference between the vision that John saw and the vision that Ezekiel saw. Here, here goes. See if you can spot it. Oh, actually, sorry, it's a bit patronising to say that when it's actually the first thing that, uh, that is said in the verse. John writes, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. So there we go. In this new city, there is no temple because God is there. And so we've got this progression. Um, there was a temple that was destroyed. And what's better than that in Ezekiel's vision is a more beautiful temple. And as you go through the scriptures, what you begin to realize is that what is better than a more beautiful temple is no temple at all. Because God himself is the temple and God's people are the temple. And, you know, we could talk about temple for a long time as well. And now let me read verses one to five of Revelation 22 and listen out for the river. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, 
for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So the Israelites of Ezekiel's time had a bright future ahead of them. But the brightest future for God's people is yet to come. Let's pray for God's help to anticipate that future with joy. Father in heaven, we don't know why it is that you've prepared for us such a bright future, except, Lord, that you are love and your love overflows to us and to all of your creation. So we thank you. We thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for this future that you have prepared. And we pray that that would give us joy and keep in perspective this life and all of its troubles, all of its temptations, so that we live in light of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.